God first. And that's what we're going to see when we look at Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. God calls Israel at an extremely important time in their existence when they are about to, uh, they are entering the promised land, they are about to conquer the promised land, and God reminds, through Joshua, God reminds the Israelites that God must be first, that he must be first. And so I hope as we look at this passage this morning that that's what you and I are going to see, that God must be first in our lives, just like God wanted first place in the lives of the Israelites in Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Let me read that and then we'll pray together and look at what the Word of God has to say. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Would you bow in prayer? Lord God, as we stand at the cusp of this new year, as we stand with it before us as an open blank slate to be filled in for us, we pray that you will show us 
through this incident in the lives of your people Israel in Joshua chapter 15, we pray that you will show us that you desire the first place in our lives and you will not take second. Help us, Lord, as we go through this passage, help us to realize that that is a decision every one of us has to make as we stand at the start of this new year, a decision of who will be Lord of our lives, who will be over us, whom, to whom will we listen We thank you that you are a God who cares about us and cares about how we live our days and cares that we live them to honor you, to worship you, to bow before you, to give you praise. Lord, help us to do that. Thank you that it all begins with a relationship with you by putting our faith in your son Jesus and his finished work at Calvary not in ourselves and not in religion, but in him and him alone. Again, Lord, if there's any in this service who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior, I pray that that will be the most important decision that they will make in these next 40 minutes. Father, thank you. Help us to study and hear your voice. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God, First, God first. That's what we want to see as we go through Joshua chapter, 15, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. You know, if you think about it, how do people normally prepare? And in the two videos we saw, uh, we see how people normally prepare for a new year. For instance, they might do what I did the other day, and that is buy a new calendar. Have you bought a new calendar yet? Uh-huh. That's one way that we start the new year. We buy a new calendar. We want to know, especially we want to go through all the months and see what are our holidays, right? We got to make sure we know what those holidays are. Uh, another way that people uh, begin a new year is they get a gym membership, which they will rarely use in the next year, right? Uh, they're going to get a gym membership. Uh, many people will make resolutions. Uh, do you make New Year's resolutions? How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few of you did. Uh, they will make resolutions. Uh, a lot of us will start the new year by looking back and thinking through the past year and seeing those areas that we are pleased with and those areas where we need to be growing. As the Israelites stood on the cusp of entering the promised land, the conquest of Canaan, God told them how they had to prepare for this new day in their lives. And I'm going to use them as an example for you and for me as to how God would want you and me to prepare for this new day in our lives. We stand at the edge of 2024. It's a blank slate. Whatever decisions we make at the beginning of this year will determine what will happen in the year and by the end of the year. The land of 2024 lies before us. Will we be victorious in 2024? Will we conquer this land? 
Will we prioritize the spiritual over the physical in our lives? Or will we live for the spiritual or the temporal? Will we live for the spiritual or the material? Or for the spiritual or the temporal? Will we remember to whom we belong? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have put your faith in him, will we remember as we go through this year that we are his? We are not the world's. We are his. Will we remember that we were bought with a price? The price is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we remember who's in control of our lives? Will we put God first? Will he be at the center of our lives in every way? I think we all want to have a good year, don't we? We all want to have a successful year. We want to be able to look back next year at this time without regret. We want to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We want to grow in our relationships with our with relationship with our mate and with our children, with our friends and on the job. We want to grow throughout this year. We can't do that if we don't put God first. We can't do that if we don't put God first. The key to success for you and for me in this new year is to put God first to put God first. It's not just a good thing for us to do. It's not just a nice talking point for a sermon. It's essential to each of us if we are to have success, the kind of success God wants us to have in this new year. It is essential to us that we put God first. We don't want to look back at this time next year with regret. We don't want to look back at this time next year with regret. Well, as I said, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, is standing uh, right on the edge of the promised land, right on the edge of the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to them. They could have gotten there 40 years earlier, but you remember what happened, don't you? They disobeyed God. They decided that it was the land and the people of the land were too strong for them, and so they didn't go in. And then uh, God judged them and said none of them would go in. They would wander in the desert for 40 years. And then they said, well, in second thought, let's go. And God said, nah, too late. And so for 40 years, what did they do? They wandered in the desert for 40 years, round and round and round, going in circles, so to speak. For 40 years. And now the time has come. When we get to Joshua chapter 5, what we find is that the Israelites, the whole Israelite nation, had crossed the Jordan River at flood stage. God dried up the river, even as he did in an earlier generation, he dried up the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could go across on dry ground. The Jordan is at flood stage, and God dried up the Jordan, and the people of Israel, some two million people crossed into the land of Canaan, and they were primed, and they were ready to take the land of Canaan. 
we read in verse 1, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts what? Melted. Their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. We have them just where we want them. I'm sure that's what the Israelites thought. We have them just where we want them. They were demoralized. Their morale was at an all-time low. They were ripe for conquest. You see, the Jordan was their backstop. They thought the Jordan would stop anyone from coming in and conquering them, and therefore they could be safe. But the God of Israel had done what? He had dried up the Jordan River, so that the whole nation of Israel could come across approximately 2 million military and non-military people of Israel crossed the Jordan River. They camped at Gilgal, which is on the west side of the Jordan, staging for the attack upon the promised land that God had given to them. But the kings of the land were demoralized. In that day, there were nation-states. It's not like the nations we have today. They were nation-city-states, individual city-states. And they had their own military. They had their own weapons of warfare. Most of them had, had walls around them to protect them from being attacked. And they are demoralized. They have seen what the God, what Israel's God did for Israel in drying up the Jordan River, and they are demoralized. It was a prime opportunity for Israel. If you were the commander of Israel's forces, what would you do at that moment? What would you do? Attack. Attack. That's the logical thing to do, to attack, to take the land. They're demoralized, they're fearful, they're hiding. They didn't have courage to face the Israelites. It's time to attack. But look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, circumcise the Israelites. Whoa. Could we back up a little bit? Can we roll the film back? Lord, you want me to do what? At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. the last thing you want to do is immobilize your troops. I'm not a military person. Many of you are. But I doubt very much that you, when you have the advantage, you're going to immobilize your troops. Now, we learned something important, I think, in this, and we're going to see it as we go through verses 1 to 15 of Joshua chapter 5, is that God works on His timetable and by what He thinks is important, and we are to align with what He thinks is important, and He has decided 
that this was the right time for Israel to be reminded that they are in covenant with him. And before they would take the land, before they would have temporal victory, they would have to have spiritual victory. And the point for you and the point for me is before we are going to take the land of 2024 that's in front of us, before we're going to have temporal victory, you and I are going to have to make a decision about spiritual victory. We're going to have to make a decision about spiritual victory. Humanly speaking, it made no sense to stop the Israelites at this point. It made no sense to circumcise them at this point, which would immobilize them for days at least as they healed. But you see, God's going to have his way. And he's going to let them know that they need to choose the spiritual They need to choose the spiritual path. And I think that they are an example to us that God desires that you and I need to take the spiritual path. This was a great, humanly speaking, a great opportunity for Israel. They could strike while the iron's hot. It was an opportune time for them to attack by human logic. And yet God said, we live to carry out his will. We live to carry out his will. Donald Campbell of Dallas Theological Seminary said this, this was not God's plan. It wasn't God's plan for them to attack at this time. God is never in a hurry, though his children often are. From God's point of view, Israel was not yet ready to fight on Canaan's soil. There was some unfinished business, and it was spiritual in character. You see, the issue is this. Military preparation wasn't all the people of Israel needed. They needed to be prepared spiritually. They needed spiritual renewal if they were going to go forward and going to have victory in this new land, you and I are going to have to be renewed spiritually if we're going to have victory in this new land of 2024. We're going to have to remember who we belong to. And so... God requires that they be circumcised. And then following the circumcision, He requires that they participate in the Passover. And then later, He shows that He can make provision for them. And later, He shows them that He is in charge, not them. He is in charge, not them. Though the enemy was ripe for attack, the people of God were not spiritually ready. You see, we need to take care of the spiritual before we take care of the temporal and material aspects of our lives. We need to take care of the spiritual. And yet in so many of our 
preparations for a new year and so, so many of our preparations as we look ahead, the one thing that you and I aren't thinking about, the one thing that you and I aren't making plans for is how we are going to grow spiritually in the new year. How are we going to draw closer to God? What's our plan to have a marriage that represents Christ and His church? What is our plan to grow close to the Lord in this new year? What is our plan to serve Him and show that He truly is first in our lives? What is our plan? Have we thought about that? Or have we thought about the new car I'd like to get in 2024? Or the new position that I'll be up for in 2024. Stanley Toussaint was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is in heaven today. But he wrote an article that was seminal for me. There are a number of things in my life, a number of things I have read, a number of, of books I've read, a number of articles I've read, that have been seminal for my thinking. And one of those articles is entitled Building a Happy Home that he wrote in the summer of 1983. Some, most of you weren't born probably in 1983. He wrote an article entitled Building a Happy Home and he listed six priorities, six priorities for building a happy home. And by that, that he meant a home that honored Christ. A home that lived out the principles of the Word of God. Now, I'm not going to spend our time this morning talk about the, talking about six. I just want to talk about number six. I'll give you the other five so you have a complete list. And uh, if you Google it, you can probably still find the article his six priorities for the Christian are these. Number one, persons before things. Persons before things. People need our presence with them, not our presence to them. Persons before things. The second priority was home before occupation. How many of us uh, he shares the story of the Dallas businessman. I've since seen this story in other places, so I don't know where it began or what was the first time, but he talked about a Dallas businessman who climbed the ladder of success only too late to find out it was parked against the wrong building. How many of us are climbing the ladder of success, but it's against the wrong building? Persons before things, home before occupation, partner before children. You know that's the biblical order, don't you? Partner before children. Children, number four, is children before friends. Number five is partner before self. Now, I'll give you a second to think about that. Partner before self. 
That's the right order. And number six, this is the one that I want to talk about for a minute this morning, and that is spiritual before material. Spiritual before material. He said this, the sixth priority for the family is to put the spiritual before the material. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, the apostle wrote, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. While it is necessary for us to spend much of our time on the material aspects of life, it is imperative for us to cultivate the spiritual characteristics of our lives. You see, that's what God was saying to the Israelites as they stood ready to attack peoples of the promised land, promised to them. It's imperative for us to cultivate the spiritual characteristics of our lives. Toussaint, commenting on 2 Corinthians 4.18, says, From this verse we deduce an obvious priority on the unseen. Things eternal are invisible. The soul, heavenly rewards, faith, hope, and love are not seen. But listen to this, please. They are not seen, but they are the most important elements of time and eternity. The things we can't see are the things that are most important. The things that we can't see are the things that you and I often fail at or don't take into account. But they are the most important elements of time and eternity. Toussaint goes on to say the home that's the homes that stress the unseen things, the permanent attributes are happier and far more stable than those that continually stress the material. How devoid of all that is worthwhile are those homes in which everything is measured in terms of money and things. He says the spiritual is usually stifled in that kind of atmosphere. The home that thrives on permanent values stresses the spiritual even if it is invisible. That's what I think we're seeing here in Joshua chapter 5. It's what I think we're seeing here in Joshua chapter 5. God is saying to the Israelites, it's, it's important that you have been trained militarily. It's important that you are ready to enter the promised land. It's important that this time you will actually go. But I want you to stop. And I want you to realize that I'm in charge, not you. And I want you to realize that the spiritual is more important. And so... He calls them to circumcision. He calls them to celebrate Passover. He calls them, them to remember who's in charge. And we need to learn from Joshua chapter 5 that we need to take care of the spiritual before the material aspects of our lives. God wanted the Israelites to know that disobedience to Him brings discipline. He wanted them to know have a reminder of his provision and of his power as they share the Passover. He wanted to remind them of who's in charge as Joshua encounters this mystery leader, this mystery 
leader. Well, God requires the circumcision of the Israelite men, which would militarily disable them and militarily incapacitate them. That is how much he desired that they should know that they must choose the spiritual in their lives. They cannot ignore it. And you and I need to know that. We, know that. we need to know that we can't ignore the spiritual. We can't ignore God's word in our lives. We can't ignore serving God in our lives. We can't ignore God's input into our marriages. We can't ignore God's input into our children. We can't ignore those things and expect that next year at this time we will have success. Verses 2 and 3, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives, circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah, Haraloth. As Charles Ryrie said, although this would seem to be the best time for Israel to strike important spiritual matters had to come first. Important spiritual matters had to come first. You see, the Israelites had spent enough years with me first instead of God first. The Israelites had spent enough years with me first instead of God first. And for many of us, we've spent too many years with me first than God first. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. Now this is why he did so, and then the text explains the reason for this. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out, that's of Egypt, have been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt, had not been circumcised. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised. Now, I want you to underline this. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. In other words, the people of God were still being disobedient to God, even as they were experiencing God's judgment on them, circling round and round and round in the desert. In all that time, it never occurred to any of them that we should circumcise our sons as the Abrahamic covenant called for. Verse 8, after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. God's not going to let the Israelites move forward. He's not going to give them victory over the people of the land of Canaan until he first has their attention, until he first 
confronts them with their need to choose the spiritual path. Not just the path of success. D.A. Carson said, unsurprisingly, faithlessness in the spiritual area is accompanied by faithlessness in marriage and the home. They needed to be faithful to God. They needed to show that faithfulness to God by listening to him, by circumcising those who had not been circumcised. And we're fine in a moment by celebrating the Passover. One writer said, circumcision was given the descendants of Abraham as a sign of their participation in the covenant of promise that had been given to him. God had promised that he would make Abraham a great nation. He promised that he, he would bless him and bless that nation. He promised that he would make Abraham's name great. He promised that they would be a blessing to the rest of the world. And they have been a blessing to the rest of the world. And they are a blessing through, send, through the, being the nation through which our Savior came, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God still blesses them who support, those who support Israel. All people on earth will be blessed through you. The circumcision of males under 40 years old who were born during the wilderness wanderings were the ones who were circumcised And they were not a part of the generation that refused to enter the promised land which had died off. The sons were not circumcised all that time because the people were still spiritually indifferent to God. They were still spiritually indifferent to God. You say, well, what is the importance of circumcision? The importance is this. It was the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant. It was the sign that showed that these were the people of God. These were the people of Jehovah. These were the people of the Lord. They were in relationship with Him. It was a symbol of God's covenant with Abraham. It was the sign of the Abrahamic contract or the Abrahamic covenant. It was a sign that they belonged to the Lord and that He was in covenant with them. And for all of those years, for 40 years, they never circumcised their sons. It just wasn't important enough, apparently. They weren't choosing the spiritual. And God says, before you enter this land, even though you are militarily ready to take the people of the land, I want you to stop and I want you to think about your relationship with me. And I think he's saying that to us at the beginning of this year. I want you to stop, and I want you to think about your relationship with me. Verses 8 and 9. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, So this place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now there's a lot of disagreement about what the reproach of Israel is. Some believe it's that it was a sign of their bondage in Egypt 
that they were not permitted to circumcise their sons in Egypt. But many question that. Many question that there was even in existence a rule that they couldn't circumcise. That does not necessarily seem to fit the reproach of Egypt. Others believe that Egypt mocked them for their failure to enter the promised land. Remember, they fled from Egypt. They fled through the Red Sea. They were on their way to the promised land. When they got to the edge of the promised land, they refused to go. And so they wandered for 40 years, and many believe the reproach of Egypt is Egypt mocking them for their failure to enter the promised land. The most likely answer to what is the reproach of Egypt is that their bondage itself was a disgrace. Their bondage in Egypt itself was a disgrace. Well, now that they have been circumcised, they are qualified to partake of the Passover. And so we read, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread, roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. You see, they were now qualified to participate in the Passover, and Israel crossed the Jordan at just the right time for Passover. Isn't that a surprise? It was just the right time for Passover. By the way, God's timing is perfect. It's never early, and it's never late. His timing is usually unexpected and almost always inconvenient, but it's always right. His timing is often unexpected and inconvenient, but it's always right. This, by the way, would be the third observation of Passover by Israel. Do you realize in its existence it's only observed Passover three times? Once in Egypt the first time. Then at Sinai, before they broke camp, they celebrated the Passover and now on the west side of the Jordan, just before the conquest of the land, they are celebrating Passover. What was Passover to them? It was a reminder of God's power. It was a reminder that God took them through the Red Sea on dry ground, even as he took them through the Jordan on dry ground. It was a reminder and symbolized the redemption of God's people from the power of sin and from the power of death. Verses 11 and 12 that talk about the produce of the land were a foretaste of, one writer said, of blessings to come. Manna had been provided for 40 years, pointing to God's provision. It started and stopped at God's command. It provided for Israel when they need it. God provides for you and for me when we need the provision. It illustrates for us that extraordinary means are only temporary. Well, verses 13 to 15, Now when Joshua was, was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. 
Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I love it. Joshua says, Are you for us or against us? And the man who we believe is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament says, I'm not for or against you. I'm your leader. I'm your leader. I'm in charge. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. It's the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. An appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did did so. This commander of the Lord's army was God himself, the pre-incarnation, Jesus Christ himself. He was the commander of the army of the Lord. He accepts worship from Joshua. Joshua fell face down on the ground. He commanded, take off your sandals. The ground of Canaan became holy ground because the pre-incarnate Son of God was standing on that holy ground. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And he was being reminded, Joshua was being reminded by God that he's not in charge. And you see, you and I believe that we're in charge of our lives. We believe that we should have our wills accomplished. And what this is illustrating for us is even as with the Israelites, even as with Joshua, Joshua had to acknowledge that The commander of the Lord's army was in charge. Is the commander of the Lord's army in charge of my life? Is the commander of the Lord's army in charge of your life? In our closing couple minutes here, let me talk about some lessons that we can take from looking at this incident in the life of Israel and in the life of Joshua First of all, we need to wait for God's timing. We need to wait for God's timing. Secondly, we must put off sin in our lives. We must put off sin in our lives. Thirdly, we must remember that God redeemed us and made us new in Jesus Christ, and we should live out that newness of life. Fourthly, we need to trust God's provision for us. And last, we need to remember that we are second in command of our lives, not first. Because remember, our motto for 2024 is God first. God first. We need to know that we follow God even when he leads contrary to our inclination. Even when he calls us to take the hard path, we need to follow where he leads. Secondly, we need to renew our relationship with him. That doesn't mean we need to be saved all over again. We don't. Once saved, always saved. But it does mean that we regularly need to 
be filled with the Spirit, that is, yield control of our lives to the Spirit of God. We regularly need to acknowledge that God is in control of our lives. We need to renew our relationship with Him in that way. We need to remember His provision for us, both spiritually and materially. We need to remember that He's in charge, not we ourselves. And we need to remember that we must have godly priorities. God must be first. Let me suggest just a th three or four things that we should do. Adam announced that we have little tracks in the back that will help you read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to ask you to think about if you've never done that, if you've never read through the Bible, uh, and, and don't even worry about making it the whole Bible. If you, if you say, well, I'll start at least with the New Testament, there you go. That's a good place to start. But start with either the New Testament or start with the whole Bible. Get one of those tracks and begin a read through the Bible. You have time to do that. Today is New Year's Eve day. Tomorrow is January 1st. What a good time to take a track. What a good time to take a track. Covet, covenant with God that you're going to read through either the New Testament or the entire Bible in this new year, 2024. Second thing you can do is Google an article entitled Seven Minutes with God. If you Google Seven Minutes with God, it'll take you to an article about how to spend the first seven minutes of each day with God. Third thing that I would suggest that you might do in the new year to show God that he is first is to read Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald or read The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Either one of those will enrich your life in 2024. The Israelites, humanly speaking, were ready to take the promised land. They had the kings of the land in fear for their lives, and God said, stop. There's something more important than that victory, and it's your spiritual victory. There's something more important in your life and in my life than temporal victory, and it's growing closer to the Lord and acknowledging his lordship over our lives. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for the example of the Israelites. Thank you for the example of Joshua. We know, Lord, that it is all too easy for us to live not for you, but for ourselves. That it's all too easy to put ourselves first instead of you. But we pray that the beginning of this new year, we pray as it stands before us, a blank slate for us to fill in, that we will make the decision to make you first in every way in our lives in this coming year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.